Chapter Five of Habits That Handicap. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Habits That Handicap by Charles B. Towns. Chapter Five: Alcoholics. I am not specially familiar with the statistics of insanity, but am inclined to believe that an appreciable contribution to the total indeed one of its largest parts, has arisen from the improper diagnosis of drug and alcoholic cases, followed naturally by improper medical treatment. Lack of definite medical help in cases of chronic alcoholism is likely to bring about brain lesions, which eventually mean hopeless insanity. For that special reason, the chronic alcoholic has been the chief contributor to the army of the insane, and in the asylums his presence is notably frequent among the violent cases. The head of one of the greatest institutions in the United States for the care of the insane assures me that this seems to occur among women to a greater degree than with men. One of the most difficult problems of my work has been to discover ways by which the medical profession can be made to understand the really serious meaning of chronic alcoholism. Most delirium, the primary cause of which lies in alcoholism, is amenable to treatment. Effects of Deprivation in Chronic Alcoholism It is exhaustion or lack of alcohol which first produces delirium in an alcoholic case, whether that exhaustion is due to the patient's inability to assimilate food or alcohol, or whether it is due to the fact that, being under restraint, alcohol is denied him. In most cases, there is no form of medication which can be successfully substituted for alcohol, and unless definite medical help is provided for the purpose of bringing about a physical change and thus avoiding delirium, no course remains safe except a long and very gradual process of reduction of alcohol poisoning. Such a measure as this cannot be successfully applied in the wards of the general hospital, as the mere fact that alcohol was there administered, even in slowly diminishing doses, would make such a ward the chosen haven of innumerable old stagers, who, having reached that stage of worthlessness which would make it impossible for them to obtain the narcotic elsewhere, would take the treatment for the mere sake of getting the alcohol of which it principally consists. Many friends of alcoholic subjects and many physicians in private practice have believed that they were doing the alcoholic a great service when they put him where he could not get alcohol, and helped him over the first acute stages of the period of deprivation by the administration of bromide and other sedatives. This usually means delirium first, and then a wet brain. If the patient survives this, his next development is more than likely to be prolonged psychosis, or in the end permanent insanity. It is because of this that I consider the chronic alcoholic more clearly entitled to prompt and intelligent medical treatment than most other sick persons. With the alcoholic, as with the drug-taker, the first thing to be accomplished is the unpoisoning of the body. In order to accomplish this, it is first necessary to keep up the alcoholic medication with ample sedatives, using great care lest the patient drift into that extreme nervous condition which leads to delirium. If delirium does occur, nothing but sleep can bring about an improvement in the patient's condition. 
This is the point of development at which physicians not properly informed in regard to such cases are likely to employ large quantities of hypnotics, and frequently this course is followed until the patient is finally knocked out. In many instances, an accumulation of hypnotics in the systems of persons thus under treatment has proved fatal. I am rather proud of my ability to state that from delirium tremens I have never lost a single case. Necessity of Classification of Alcoholics The records show that today about 40% of the insane in the asylums of New York State have a definite alcoholic history. In this condition lies one of the greatest opportunities ever offered to the medical profession. Even now a proper classification of the patients thus immured, and their appropriate treatment, would in many instances result in the return to the normal of those affected. Proper classification and treatment at the time when the symptoms of mental disorder first appeared would have resulted in the salvation of innumerable cases. As a matter of fact, I earnestly believe that if this course was followed, the number of supposedly permanent cases of insanity arising from alcoholic and drug addictions might be decreased by 75%. Certain general rules may be laid down. There are no circumstances in which it is advisable for a physician in private practice to attempt to handle a case of chronic alcoholism in the patient's own environment. Efforts to do this are constantly made, with the result that many needlessly die from lack of alcohol, while an even more tragic result is the unnecessary entrance, first into the psychopathic wards of our hospitals, and thence into our asylums for the insane, of innumerable cases which needed intelligent treatment only for alcoholism or drug addiction. If this treatment is neglected, the incarceration of these unfortunates in asylums becomes necessary, for without question their insanity is real enough. Unscientific Methods in the Treatment of Alcoholism During the summer of 1913, I visited a large hospital in Edinburgh and discussed alcoholism and its treatment with the visiting physician. We do not have many alcoholics here, said he. Why? I inquired. All our hospital work is supported by private subscription, he answered. Then there is no place whatever in Scotland for the care of the acute alcoholic case? No, if an intoxicated person is locked up by the police and develops delirium, he is sent here, and we do what we can for him by the old methods. You offer no definite medical help along special lines? No, we have none to offer. He showed me two cases in the general ward. One man in a straitjacket was in the midst of delirium tremens, his face terribly suffused. He was in a pitiable state, and nothing was being done for him. "'What course shall we follow?' the physician inquired. "'Let me see his chart,' I requested. After I examined it, it became immediately apparent that the patient's condition was due to lack of his usual drug. It was his third day in the ward. "'Nothing but sleep will save him,' I said, and suggested medication which was administered. In three or four minutes the patient was relaxed and taken out of the straitjacket. I made certain suggestions regarding general stimulation for the bowels and the kidneys, and diet. On the next day I found the patient improved, after twelve or fifteen hours of sleep, 
and wholly free from delirium. His case had now become simply a matter of recuperation. Another case had lived through several days of delirium tremens, which had been followed by a wet brain. The visiting physician considered this patient a fit subject for the psychopathic ward. I asked the patient questions about himself. He was sure that he had been out the night before, and pointed out one of the interns as his companion during the hours of dissipation. His case was regarded at the hospital as almost certain to end in an asylum. I suggested treatment, and within two days the man's mind had entirely cleared up. These instances of successful and prompt relief occasioned considerable surprise among the hospital physicians, who frankly admitted that they knew nothing to do except to keep the patients there under restraint, and, if necessary, feed them according to existing rules to keep their bowels open and their bladders free, and hope for the best. This was an institution which is supposed to represent the best medical learning in the United Kingdom. I found similar conditions existing in the great hospitals of London, Paris, and Berlin, so that the Scotch institution is not an exception to the general European rule. Everywhere I was frankly informed that the medical staff knew of nothing to be done in alcoholic cases beyond deprivation and penalization. Nor have we been more scientifically progressive in the United States. We are following virtually the same unenlightened methods, and it has even been suggested that chronic alcoholism be added to the conditions which in the minds of some sociological thinkers justify sterilization. How important our shortcoming is may be strikingly illustrated by the statement that alcoholic patients comprise one-third of all the cases admitted to Bellevue Hospital in New York. THE DIFFICULTY OF TREATMENT IN SOME ALCOHOLIC CASES The alcoholic differs notably from the person addicted to drugs. A drug-taker, deprived of his drug, will experience in the early stages only acute discomfort and a natural longing for the drug of which he has been deprived. His unfavorable symptoms can always be relieved by the administration of the drug. The chronic alcoholic, however, deprived of the stimulant, often drifts into a delirium which cannot be relieved by the administration of his accustomed tipple. No more terrible spectacle can be imagined by the human mind than that of an acute case of delirium tremens. No patient needs more careful watching in order that unfavorable developments may be avoided. Once delirium sets in, no type of case is medically so difficult to handle. The man who for long periods has been saturated with alcohol and who is suddenly deprived of it, is, I think, more to be pitied than almost any one I know. Yet relatives, friends, and physicians frequently follow exactly this course, and think that by so doing they are rendering the patient a kindly service. Causes of Insanity In mentioning the causes of insanity, it is, however, impossible to permit the impression to be recorded that alcohol is the only offender. My statement of the part which alcohol plays in supplying the population of our madhouses has never been denied, but it is also true that the use of headache powders and other preparations commonly sold at our drug stores, and as yet slightly or not at all restricted by law, and the use of coffee, tea, and tobacco in unrestricted quantity, also contribute their quota to the insane." A letter from the superintendent of a certain state asylum 
tells me that he has seen many improvements, sometimes even amounting to cures, result from ten days of fasting. That fasting really was a process of unpoisoning. In such a case, the symptoms of insanity may be attributed to auto-intoxication, coming from one of many causes, of which alcohol, tobacco, or even food improperly selected or unreasonably eaten may be one. The physician can have no means of learning just what method to pursue in any case of auto-intoxication until the patient has been unpoisoned. If any one of the great general hospitals would secure careful histories of one hundred of its patients, and apply the proper methods to those who are found to have been poisoned by their habits, surprising results would be achieved. It is specially true that no intelligent mental diagnosis can be made of any patient who has had an unfavorable drug, alcoholic, or even tobacco, tea, or coffee history, until he has been freed from the effects of these drugs or stimulants. The first thing that a physician must do when confronted by a case of alcoholic or drug addiction is to learn whether it is acute or chronic. If the case is chronic, the patient must not be suddenly deprived of his stimulants. End of chapter 5